Welcome to Fargo Talks Fargo, an unofficial podcast on the FX television show. Fargo Talks Fargo is hosted by me, Bill Lempe, and my buddy Sharpie. Sponsors for this season of Fargo Talks Fargo are TAG, celebrating Fargo and the Midwest community through t-shirts, art, and graphics. For more information, visit tagfargo.com. And Fargo Brewing Company's Wood Chipper India Pale Ale with its bold hop flavor and velvety body. Grab a pint or visit them online at fargobrewing.com. All right, all right. Here we are, Sharpie. How are you doing today? Hey, now. Great. I feel like we've been doing this constantly. It feels like we've been recording for at least 24 hours straight. This is the fourth episode we're going to release this week. Granted, we did record one of those episodes last week. Uh, anyway, for those of you who don't know, this is our recap of Fargo, Episode 8, The Heap. The Heap. The Heap. We'll come back to that later. I don't think we need to talk about that now because it has nothing to do with a whole bunch of stuff so far. So, we'll skip over The Heap, why don't we? Okay, let's do it. And for those of you, though, who That's are easy. just listening to this, if you're interested and you didn't check it out, we did have a, um, we released two interviews this week, one with... Tom Musgrave, who plays Bo Monk, and one with Julianne Emery, who plays Ida Thurman. So uh, hats off to both of them for taking time to sit around with us. Yeah, uh, that and, was awesome. And chat about their experiences on the show. So Thanks, guys. Such a pleasure. Yeah, and tonight we have, because we've had so many other guests, we're just going to hammer this out again. Just me and Sharpie. Just I love us. you, man. Love you. Let's do it. I'm excited. Hey, what a fun opening to the show. The, wash- the factory. Yeah. It was In like an episode of Mr. Rogers. Mm-hmm. I kept waiting for Johnny Ive to come in and talk about the aluminum. <laughs> the aluminum core. Yes. I think that dryer did have, uh, or that washer had a unibody. Yeah. I uh, So so Lester's out with the old and with the new Lester, huh? Yep, I guess that's it. Uh, he's gotten rid of the old washing machine and along with the old Lester and brought in the new. I really I was, so I was looking into I had to I had to kind of do it because we're crazy psycho like this now. Um but when the delivery man brought by the washing machine I had to and he mentioned the T160 and how, you know, it bucked like a Bronco. So I just looked up if to see if there's an actual washing machine called the T160. Believe it or not, there's a Whirlpool T160 with an optional <laughs> stability kit. <laughs> if only Lester had known. That's all you would have needed. He would still be he he'd still be with his wife. I bet I bet Chaz would have bought that stability kit. He probably would. Yeah. He's more Although so so Lester finds his happy place and just sits in front of the washer and enjoys watching it spin. It was a little bit mesmerizing. There was a whole lot that went on in the show and I think last night on the hot dish we talked a little bit about how we kind of after the big thing that happens, spoiler alert, this show contains tons of spoilers. Tons. After the big thing happens, the time shift, the time jump, the back to the future. No, I'm just kidding. Um, either way, uh, so we're, we're going to recap some of the things that happened before, even though they, to a certain degree, are tied up with a bow temporarily, maybe. Uh, Lester and Kitty have coffee, and she she's very well playing to him to a certain degree that it's funny he she doesn't portray him as the victim as much as he feels like he should be she's the victim right right yeah i mean she wasn't even the murder wasn't even on her mind which was funny (laughs) she was like my kid's in trouble 
and my husband banged your wife, who is just, she's not me. You don't cheat on Ms. Hubbard County, right? Yeah. Hubbard County located directly south of Bemidji. Yeah. Poor guy. (laughs) That line where he's like, oh, you mean like murder my wife? Yeah. Oh, oh, that little thing. Yeah, but he cheated. (laughs) Yeah. And my son's in trouble. Yeah. Come on, kid. All we know is that uh, I kept thinking, so he's is this timeshare boat going to somehow play into the show or the giant pool of guns that Lester is going to collect? We don't know. I'll so. be honest. I thought, uh, you know, I saw that little twinkle in Lester's eye, uh, just a slight just a slight little twinkle. I thought that the Lester Kitty thing was going to happen after, you know, Les's confidence has been snowballing. But I w- just not not quite enough yet. Not quite enough for, yet. Maybe for Kitty to take note. I think he. Well, we'll get to that later. Yeah. Um. The opening credits were fantastic again. When he's cleaning the house, mm-hmm. throwing away all Kitty's shit. Those uh, no pearls. Pearls, Kitty's house. Jeez, sorry, thanks. Oh, jeez. Um, cleaning his house, getting rid of every last bit. Of his wife, mm-hmm. what a great uh, like light song to play. With, <laughs> yeah, know. because he has such little remorse. Like he he he's cleaning out his closet. This is three weeks, three weeks. Yeah, three weeks after he's murdered his wife. He, and even if he hadn't murdered her, let's pretend the neighbors. You know, let's talk Midwest for a minute. Let's pretend the neighbors don't don't think he did it anymore. They're like, oh, that bastard Chaz. They would still be like, put out all Pearl's stuff. Mm-hmm. My spoon collection. Even the spoons. Tchotchkes out. Tchotchkes new Lester, out. new washing machine in. Tchotchkes um, and bric-a-brac. See you yeah. later. We also get to see Molly get a pep talk from her dad. No big deal. Nothing of major note there. But uh, we eventually end up where Molly, you know, he kind of pep talks her for this uh, this thing for Bill that she's going to do. and. Uh, I don't know. It was pretty, it's intense what he does to her. Bill? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Bill is, it's like we were saying in the hot dish. He is all about just going to, going to work and being done when he's done. Eight to five, nine to five, wherever you are, eight to five in the Midwest. Uh he he wants to close the case. He's like tired of it. He wants to get back to, you know, doing the the normal type stuff, snow removal, catching dogs, uh simple stuff. I think too we also get a glimpse of this reminiscent soft side of Bill though. Um the hubba bubba stories, all the stuff about, oh, you I mean, you remember when he got in the fight, Chaz got, you know, not got in trouble and all the way to this the delicate way he describes his omelet. And how she wrapped it in tin foil to keep it warm. Keep it you know warm. what I mean? Like he's got there's a heart in there. He he may not be doing the best police work of his life, but as a person, uh, Bob Odenkirk does a great job of of portraying Bill and just sh- there's these little tiny things of just he just likes the nice simple things of life and and family and 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 things tied up well. Yeah, it'd be interesting to get Bob Odenkirk's um, description of Bill Oswalt. And maybe we can find that. I'm sure he's done some interviews out there. Uh, I'll look for that next week. 
But it'd be interesting to see his take because when we did, um, just previous to this episode, we did the interview with Julianne Emery and we got her take on Ida Thurman. And it was um, pretty in tune with what we were thinking, although I would say there were some slight differences with what was going on in my mind with Ida Thurman. And I thought, and now I'm much... I'm, I've got a little bit of a different angle on Ida than I did before, and I'd like to get that from Bob uh, because I want to see, I want to hear well, his take. I'll call him for lunch next week. Yeah, let's give him a call <laughs> and get him on the show. And I, I'm, I'm kind of curious because I'm picturing Bill Oswald as being kind of like you say, he's all about you know family and the other things in life, and the his job isn't his priority, um, and a lot of times. Officers of conflict, the law. conflict isn't is is like counterintuitive to or it's just not what he wants. He doesn't like conflict. He doesn't like conflict, and a lot of times the officers of the law and those uh, characters of that nature are depicted as you know this is their life. Usually, when yeah. that type of character is in a show, you know that um, sort of engulfs their entire persona. Whereas this character, it's quite the opposite. It's his yeah. job, but he's interested in other things. He likes the fact that his wife wrapped his omelet in tinfoil. I would like that too. Keep keep it warm. Keep it warm. But he's he's basically summoned, you know. So Knutson, Deputy Knutson, played by Gary Valentine, who I before called Doug, Doug Heffernan's cousin. But now that I've just managed to unlazy myself and open up IMDb two seconds before we recorded, uh He's summoned, like almost like Molly has like prepared a show for him, and he goes in and uh, I caught a peek at the board, caught some things that were like deaf fella, deaf fella, buddy, and and uh, it doesn't go well for Molly. She pleads her case, and uh, Bill goes off, and this is how it goes. So I'm back now. No, Chief, please. Now Molly, Deputy. Now I would give it to you. I I would. Except we both know in two days I'd be back in this room with you pointing at names on that whiteboard and me chewing my tie. Just, please, Chief, for Pete's sake, I, I, I've got evidence that puts Lester Nygaard in a room with a known killer on the day of the Hess murder, and then the next night, Lester called the guy. He called him at the motel. Look, you can't... That's just how it is sometimes. Life. <laughs> you know, you go to bed unsatisfied. They're calling the lottery numbers on the TV, and you get the first few, and already in your mind, you're buying a jet or a Fjord or whatever, but it's just not meant to be. It's just not meant to be. Hey, look, we're all real glad to have you back, okay? You're a heck of a police officer. Tell her about the cake. The guys are going to have a cake for you later. Try to look surprised. It's, it's really something. It's got an assault rifle on top made of frosting, which I don't know how they do that. But I, that, And here, here's the thing. In, in watching this again another time, he, he can't even call her deputy first. You know what I mean? He has like these, I feel like his character has all this feeling. He's like Molly, like friend, you know, like Steve, Jeff, whatever. He's like Molly, deputy. And then even after he... After he kind of reprimands her he's like the he's like the bumbling father to the perfect father that Vern was and even in even after he just like ramrods you know just like crushes everything she's trying to talk about he ends up telling her that she's a great great you know deputy 
and and let's have cake. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just well, he's a, like you said, he's avoiding the conflict. Mm-hmm. He's avoiding the conflict and 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 trying to just make things as 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 good as he can, though, like because he cares. You know, I think he does care. Yeah. So, uh, we're at the Bow Monk Agency. Some more vacation island music, which I just love the music in this episode. Uh, Lester and Gina have it out, Not, and I don't mean like on uh, on her husband, her her dead husband's bed. I mean inside the agency. And man, there was some uh, pretty <laughs> saucy stuff said. But you you caught something kind of fun in the uh, letter of denial. Um. Well, yeah. So obviously Gina was pissed that uh, her policy to collect on her husband's whoops death was denied because he wasn't wasn't paying the bills. Um no, I just noticed a, a signature on the letter of denial, so I just looked that up tonight and it was Greg um Auch. I don't know how he pronounces A U C H. Greg Auch. Um so I just did a little googling and I noticed that uh Movie prop man on Twitter at movie prop man, the guy who does the props for the for FX, a couple of FX yeah. shows. Yeah. Um. So that was kind of interesting. Just a little fun little. I mean, why wouldn't the prop have the prop man signature on it? But of course, it yeah. makes sense. I just thought it was kind of fun. We 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 talked to Julianne today, and we did discuss the fact that we were talking about how there's such a this show too has had such a wide variety of like language type things where you're like, whoa. You know, we talk about Aji's and the panties and the underpants thing, and then you have Gina Hess screaming, "I let you come in my mouth, <laughs> inside me." <laughs> I, oh, that's what it is. I'm sorry, I let Jeez. you come inside me. <laughs> Bill's raising it up a bar, even. Oh, Don't get too excited over I there. Can't, I can't. I can't. Well, no way to fix that one now. There's no post production on that. Um, uh, but she's she, not from the Midwest, am I right? No, remember, yeah, because she was like a stripper that came with him here. She's like, you brought right. me to this. No, wait, no, 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 that's not. Well, yeah, she was she a stripper, but I, I just, I don't recall if she said where she came from, but I'm pretty sure yeah. it wasn't from Well, here. both both Stavros and uh, Hess seem to have brought their wives to a barren wasteland that they didn't feel like being in. And look where they ended up. Look, Word to the wise, <laughs> folks. If you're already married, maybe you shouldn't move Stay here. away. If you want to get divorced... Come on up. <laughs> it's beautiful here this winter, and there's plenty of attorneys. Come on now. So. All married couples. All. She basically. Sorry. She basically threatens them, and then that, the, the two Hess doofuses, Tweedledee and Dumb, start to. Uh, the brothers Hess. Pick, pick on them, yeah. And uh, Lester uh, responds in kind <laughs> with a stapler. Yeah. Pretty awesome. It was so great to see that. Yeah, I think that was the part. I kind of wanted just a couple more staples. Just a couple more, Lester. Just just really pin this one up. Yeah, and it turns out that it um it really it really turns Linda's crank. Yeah, it does. Coworker love. Everybody's pairing off. Mm-hmm. Uh we also get to back to Fargo to see what's happened to Budge and Pepper. Uh Key and Peel, and they're evidently speaking of staplers. They're in trouble, and they're sent to storage room B, the file room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they tape the picture on the wall, and tennis ball fun ensues. 
That's about all we can talk about that, I think. Um, Nothing major happening not just a yet federal, Not a federal building in actual Fargo, but looks just like many federal buildings. Looks just about as ugly as our federal building. Yep. Pretty just about. damn close. Yeah. And then we we end up back in the Duluth Hospital and... Uh, the wrench? Uh, L- Lauren, Lauren chokes out the pisser. Yeah, so wrench. Uh, I mean, that's a that's quite the conundrum that that officer is in. You know, he's got a guy sleeping in a bed, and he's really got to pee. I mean, I would have taken that he's risk. Handcuffed. Yeah, he's handcuffed to the bed. To the bed, and, and he's deaf. What could po- <laughs> what could possibly happen? I just need to squeak this one out, and that's that. I guess. Stealthy Lauren I did like those again. urinals. You have those urinals in your office, the ones that go well, straight the ones, to the floor. No, but I think these ones had steps. I, think, I remember John Lamb saying there was well, a, all, lear, all, do, all urinals in Duluth have like a platform you have to step on. There's to. a slight step up. Yeah. I I was trying to figure out, I mean, was it just a dramatic effect or what was with the freaky flickering lights or is Lauren magic? Is he like, you know, as one of the wolves... From from the Roman times, is he like summoning Zeus the god? Yeah, <laughs> into an electrical storm. He's Magneto. He's really disrupting the electrical fields. Is that what fields. it is? Lorne is a deer. Is Magneto? <laughs> yeah, that's brilliance right there, folks. You can write that down. Yeah, you can tweet that. I'll let you have that. Yeah. So he has a he has a conversation though with Wrench, and it's. It's pretty intense, and he talks about having a conversation with numbers before he slits his throat. And uh, I've got a clip here. I'm just going to play. Yeah, let's hear that. That, that I that I think is really no, no joke. Going to be key to the the somewhere in the future. We don't know exactly what yet because Lauren Holly's messing with our head. I just called him Lauren Holly. Der mm-hmm. Noah. You're unemployed now, by the way. In case you don't read the papers. I watched a bear once. His leg was in a steel trap. It chewed through bloody bone to get free. It was in Alaska. And died about an hour later face down in a stream. It was on his own terms, you know? You got close. Closer than anybody else. I don't know if it was you or your partner, but look, um, if you still feel raw about things, when you heal up, come see me. God. You know what you know what I love about that is I I like the idea that. So we we talked a little earlier about how Wrench kind of has a a small amount of a code. You know, he has to say it, you know, before they were willing to kill Lester. Yep. 
I think this is the other side of that, not the other side of the coin, just a, a, a slight parallel to that in that he, he, because of this, you know, so he tells him the first story, but I think it's because of the second story about, hey, if you're not feeling raw, here, you know, here's the deal. Come see me. And it's like, is it a job offer? Is it a, I dare you to come get me? See? But I mean, a big part of it, I think, is whether it was him or numbers, he doesn't know which one. And I think the person who was close to killing him that we saw in the, in the little car, bumper car shootout was, it was Wrench mm-hmm. that was close. And I think because he respects that, he wants to let him, you know, tells the bear story and wants to let him get out of there rather than have to chew off his own hand and die or go to jail. Just a thought. That's interesting because I did not take it that way. I didn't take how did it. You, how did you take I, it? I, read, I was reading a little bit online and I was read, reading the same kind of Well, don't do like, that. Um, <laughs> where people were saying that it was a job offer. But I, the per, both the times I watched the show, I didn't really take it as a job offer. I took it more of a, as a, hey, man, I know I killed your partner. If you want to settle this out later, come find me and you know, more of a more of a dual kind of gesture. Yeah, and that's like kind of what I was saying, your, though. I know, but yeah, I mean, I know that was half of what you're saying. I res- I respect you. Come at me, bro. Yeah, right. I think it was more along those lines, and I see more. I see elsewhere that people are more along the lines of a job offer, and I just don't see that happening. I mean, wrench and numbers were so close. I mean, they were basically one person because they could communicate so well. Um, yes. I don't see Lorne getting off that easily with Wrench. Yeah, I mean, and I know I brought that up in the hot dish last night that I thought there was a chance he would maybe join up with him. But that remains to be seen. Yep, sure does. So, I think this is a great time for us to take a quick uh, sponsor break. Let's do it. uh, This week, as with every week, we are sponsored by two fantastic people, one of which Mm -hmm. is Fargo Brewing Company. Yes. We gave out the password last night. If you're a local, you can go to the Fargo Brewing Company tap room on the corner of University and 7th, and you can go in there and you can say the password, stapler, and get a dollar off a beer. Stapler. If it's if it's happy hour, that's $2 off because it's already a dollar off during happy hour. Yep. Don't even, don't even get into what happens if you return your plastic ring holder. Snap. What? Yeah. So we're sponsored by Fargo Brewing Company's Wood Chipper India Pale Ale. It is fantastic. We talk about the velvety body, about a drinkableness, and it's just, it's fantastic. But I mean, when you really boil it down, it's a fantastic beer. They brew a bunch of other great beers, mm-hmm. and they're really spreading out. They're all over they're, they're all over in North Dakota these days, and they're already now making it to the just the outskirts of the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, and they're doing well. And uh, we couldn't be more proud to have them as a sponsor. And um, at this 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 far end of the season, it's just. It's so easy to talk about them in some ways. And I mean, I know we've been reading reading off a little script here and there, but that's because we're idiots sometimes. But I really mean it. They're, right. it's, it's a great beer. I don't drink it because they sponsor us. I drink it because it tastes good. Yep. And I think if you tried it, you'd agree. And so that's the best thing we can tell you is besides saying the word velvety body and all sorts of stuff mm-hmm. and how many, how many hops there are per barrel, which is all awesome. Two pounds. How many? Two pounds. There you go. But deep down... Deep down, it's, it's beer. Just good beer. Great beer, run by four great guys, and we think you should check it out. Either go to our website to look forward to Fargo Talks Fargo, or you can go directly to them at fargobrewing.com. Mm-hmm. 
and check it out. And if you don't have it in your area, ask for it. Yep. Make a friend. Send it illegally through the mail. Just get it done. What a yeah, what an awesome thing. Wood Jipper India Peel. It you know, it's actually inspired by the movie. That's yeah. that shouldn't be like It's not news to people. News to people, yeah. We're silly like that. Um little known fact. If you do get a can of wood chipper, yours truly drew the wood chipper on the can. That's me. So a little, little I thought you were Sharpie trivia, who's this though. yours truly guy. A little trivia there for you. Yeah, Sharpie does all the mm-hmm. design for their cans. So basically, you just admitted that we've weaseled our way in there. We've infiltrated. We've infiltrated. It's happened. You got to have insurance. So. All right, back to Fargo. Well, actually, back to Bemidji. Lou's, Lou's Coffee Shop is where we end up going. I wish that was um, a real place. Yeah. I could go for a greasy Lou's burger. I love the fact that it's a coffee shop, but they serve everything. Not Lou's Diner, Lou's Coffee Shop. So I like the it, fact also that uh, Ida asks about Molly's suitor. Sergio suitor Carter. number one. I just keep waiting for a mall rats. <laughs> no. Jesus fucking Christ, Gil. There's just some things you don't ask. So uh, they And then a nice little, little fun moment where she calls him Sergio, to which I tweeted out last night a picture of John Hamm as Sergio. <laughs> from that Saturday Night Live skit. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you go look it up. Sergio Garcia. And this hate. Yeah. Here it is again. Bill, good intentions, poorly executed. He's at the table oh, talking to just, Ida and Molly, and he totally puts his foot in his mouth. It's great to have the family back to, oops, I'm sorry, your husband's dead. You know, like Yeah, sorry about the whole family ago. thing. Yeah, sorry about that. Hey, you got a new baby, though. That's got to be great. Yeah, that counts, right? So you guys are like a family. That's you guys yeah. are the whole family now. Oh shit. <laughs> Maybe he thought she she and Molly were going to start a family together. Mm. Oh, poor Bill. But either, either way. But we got some cake. There it is. The Bill Cares campaign <laughs> by me, Bill Lempy. Um, Ida has that nice conversation though where she says, you know, thanks for catching the guy kind of thing and Molly tries to kind of be humble about it and says she didn't do the real work. So this was a very, very interesting little dynamic that that happened because Ida was super supportive of Molly for, you know, catching the guy. Whereas Molly knows that they didn't catch the guy. You know, in her heart, there's still a lot of work to be done. But she doesn't want to... Like, it, in Ida's mind, she's getting closure. And Molly doesn't want to disrupt that closure or take that away from her because she's already had a lot taken away in her life. So, yeah. Well, I think, the, I think you know, this is a part where I wish I would have just actually cut, like, one couple clips out of the interview we did with Julianne today about where she talks about how Ida of like, really, you never see her cry, how she just swallows it and just like buries. She's like, I think she goes home and cries alone a lot. That's the way she saw the character. And it's true. Like right now, they're at a thing. They're kind of celebrating, you know, what they all believe to be true. And Ida's just going with the flow. She's just got to take it for what it is right now. Mm-hmm. It's the closest to closure she's going to get, possibly. Mm-hmm. It is the closest to closure she's going to get. And Molly knows that. and and. Despite the fact that Molly's super passionate about this case, 
she's passionate about her relationship with Ida as well, which is, um, as Julianne said in the previous uh, podcast, you know, a sisterly relationship. Or was it sisterly, motherly kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, big sister, Family. little sister kind of thing. Yeah. Um, if you if you haven't listened to it, we don't have to cut in, you know, clips. You can no. just go listen to the podcast, download it, be our friends. Be our friends. And in, in all of that, she's got the whiteboard in the trunk, and she goes for a, like a, a sad meander through the streets of Bemidji and goes by the Beaumont Agency. And uh, Martin Freeman, that guy, that guy has a way with outwards. Uh, I talked a little bit about the slight smirk he was pulling when he walked by and mm-hmm. Chaz was yelling, yeah, Lester, what'd you do? You know, and this little tiny smile in that asshole wave through the window at Molly, you just want to go in there and punch him square in the dick. That is one of the points where, and there were a couple of them throughout this episode, and what Noah Hawley's doing is turning the audience on Lester. Uh, oh yeah, uh, which is fairly obvious. I mean, that's not rocket science here, guys. Uh, trying to <laughs> <laughs> the, clearly, we are now like being. We're now pivoting. We're pivoting. Pivot. We're pivoting the audience against Lester because he's turning into quite the douche canoe. I'm gonna pivot the top of this can right on the inside. So I turn things around there. Mm. Yes, I and then we get to the we get to the the crusher scene where Gus is uh, operating a speed gun, which finally something Gus can shoot without hurting somebody. Uh and he and Molly basically set up their hot date to go to the logging festival, mm-hmm. and the music takes off. They pan away. And all uh, you kept waiting and thinking, waiting. oh my God, what's going to happen? And waiting. then, holy fucking shit, waiting. time shift, time shift. Waiting. Noah Hawley, you've got some splaining to do. It's Bemidji. On episode. Gus is delivering mail. 10. On yes. Fargo Talks Fargo. Come on, Noah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we uh, we get... We speed ahead one year later. Gus Grimley's in his dream job. Mailman. Delivering mail. Yep. Delivering that paycheck. Delivering that paycheck some person might just be waiting for. Yep. I thought it was great that uh, Gus even screws up in his job as a husband, though, and forgets the red sauce for his pregnant Well, he's still Grimley. He's He's still Grimley. He's still Grimley in it. Yeah. Um, they have I love their family house, time. Though. Perfect. I mean, that is if that is not a Midwestern house, if I've ever seen one. Yeah. That dark oak door, that entryway, man, that just reminds me of stepping into any of my friends' houses growing up. Just great. Very comforting. Yeah. It's a nice scene. Very, uh, but no no spoon rack on I, the wall. I think we may have covered this earlier. So Gus, uh, Gus actually, you know, he gets the tacos. And forgets the red sauce. Yep. Um, if you're in North Dakota, even the taco sauce is fucking white. <laughs> Everybody knows that the best taco sauce. Are you going on a red pepper rant here? 
<laughs> the, we can't do this. We can do it. It doesn't mean anything to anyone. Uh, well, yeah, I'm just saying that. <laughs> oh, you're saying think, that even even we've managed to take something that was like a red spicy sauce and right. figure out like the favorite sauce at a restaurant that's in Grand Forks and Fargo now. It's a continuation <laughs> about, of a Midwestern food theme, and that we, that we talked about with Tom. Yeah, that we managed to turn all foods white. Yes, and if you if you if you've ever been around here, or if you're a local person, you know what the red pepper is. It's a taco shop. It's like homemade tacos. They're pretty shitty, um, <laughs> and they're pretty famous for their white taco sauce. Yep, got to get the white sauce on your taco or your grinder. And uh, let's just let's just throw out a little fact here about what that sauce actually is, because a lot Uh-oh. of people are secrets. And I know this doesn't mean a lot to you. People just looked around, around world, before you started talking. Country. But the, the the secret white taco sauce is not that special. If you want to make it at home, you can. It's three ingredients. Do tell. It is whole milk, mayonnaise, and black pepper. Whiz that up in your blender and you've got Midwestern taco sauce. <laughs> Gus would have forgot that if she asked for it. I like to so at the substitute table. buttermilk, you know, give it a little oh. extra tang, and then I throw in a couple of jalapenos, you know, actually Zing. give it some sort of substance, but Midwestern taco sauce is milk, mayonnaise, and pepper. There you have it, <laughs> folks. Your insider it's, information for this episode. Consider yourself in the know. Uh, I think they foreshadow something that could be coming up soon, uh, the anniversary at Ida's house. Right. And I wonder if this is... I. I asked Julianne about it today, and of course she didn't say much. I just feel like Molly's going to go to that party, if they show it, if Noah shows it. I feel like that's where she's going to melt down or say something or do something. But uh, uh, we we do see Molly go into the bedroom where she's got the white, all, all the little strings and bulletin boards and everything tied up there, you know, where you sleep, the murder scene, just right there behind she's the door. She's playing the TV movie detective. Well, my guess is she can do whatever she wants. Do you know why? Gus took her spleen. He owes her big time. And if she wants to hang some shit on the wall, he's going to have to deal. But uh, I, I will she say this. She better be careful uh, with those pins, though. Now that she doesn't have a, a spleen, she's prone to infection. So uh, she calls the FBI and they say, yeah, 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 whatever. We got a bunch going on with the um, the Patriot Act. And uh, he says something like, I'll put a note saying you called kind of thing. And... Uh, I'm I'm saying now my minor prediction is that that note somehow that note is what's going to connect Budge and Pepper in the file room. You think to, so? Yep. Yeah, I suppose they got nothing else to do. They've been sitting in a nope. file room for a year. Yep. And so of course, guess what? Next scene, Budge and Pepper. Coincidence? I, I don't think so. I think that was clearly put together and this is where Good call, Bill. Good call, Thanks. Detective Bill. Hey, yay, Detective Bill! You, not you, listeners not, are. Uh, you're being treated to a fine specimen that is. I just Bill shot the beer out of my nose, and that's what he goes by. Um, yeah. So you know you should just have ha- just just don't take this for granted right here because Bill's been Bill's been on a little hot streak, and you have only had one beer, right? Yep, just one. Wow. Just one. So we see Budge and Pepper are still rocking the room. One's all you need. One's all you need. Uh, Cock (laughs) push-ups? 
Budge and Pepper are still in the room, and they're talking about the file room and removing a file. If you take a file out, it's still the file room. And this is where Therein Shazam, lies the, rub. the heap. Um, and I'm not going to lie, this we we figured this out right before the show, or I talked about it to Sharpie, and he thinks I'm a brilliant detective now. Um, and I don't know yeah, if it's written anywhere yet, so I'm sure somebody else has discovered it. Uh, it's not like it's a first here, but um, it's Sorides paradox. Um, and Sorides is is a Greek word, much like Stavros was Greek for cross. Um, Sorides means heap, and the whole idea is about a pile of sand. And if you remove a grain of sand, is it still a heap? And if you continue going, at what point, you know, does it become not a heap? And if you put heaps some back and there's there's a huge paradox in there. You can read about it if you you Google it. But what I think is happening here is that at what point does the sand not become a heap of sand? Yes, and you know, so Sharpie and I talked to very briefly about this, and I was saying, well, it's it's the files is their metaphor for the sand metaphor, not uh, not metaphor, uh, is that the, they're parallel to the sand, and I told. Sharpie, I said, I, I think it's about it's about characters and people leaving the show. And if people are dying, is it still a show and how is it going? And and if, if you take some out, you put some in. Because I think this time shift quite possibly could be the end of us. It it could be the end of us seeing Stavros. It could be the end of us seeing Gina Hess. It could be the end of even seeing Ida after this. We're not yep. sure. But on top of that, and we lost, we lost some people, mm-hmm. pisser cop in the bathroom, mm-hmm. numbers, um, but they're being replaced. So sand is leaving, sand is entering, files are leaving, files are entering, and it's endless, and there's no thing. So I, I think that's what the heap is really about. And uh, I don't know if you saw this, but I did see, if you look at that bulletin board, and I forgot to tell you about this, Matt, before before we started the show, if you look at the bulletin board. All right. Looking there right is now. a there is a really tiny what if you're right and they're wrong smack dab in the middle of that fucking bulletin board. You gotta be shitting me. Now he's gonna have to look it up. He's I'm looking it up right now. Um But I think but I think that's what it is. I mean this this whole this whole show though has been like big discussions about paradoxes and and religious stuff and and things like that. So but if you want to know a little bit more about the Sorites Paradox, that's S-O-R-I-T-E-S Paradox. Uh, you can Google that. It's actually pretty long and it's pretty deep. And it's like, at what point does a heap just become a pile and a pile become a heap? And where does it all go? But that's the file room. That's where it happens. That's the show. Not you, the show as a whole. The the episode, I'm sorry. You've got me all distracted. Sorry. Well, let's come back. We, you don't need <laughs> no, to worry about that I right know. now. It, oh yeah, there it is. Long. The exact poster. It's it's just in really small form. It's like it's like a quarter sheet page of paper. Sure. Yep. I I guess. Uh, so, yeah. You okay with that? You feeling good? Yep. I was thinking it was something different, but that's so Molly obvious. gets a note put in a file. Budge and Pepper are having the Sorties paradox. They throw the tennis ball. The tennis ball bounces off the wall, and they're completely, all of a sudden, in an instant, snapped back to the reason that they got stuck in that room when they see the taped-up picture of of Lauren walking by the car from the ATM. 
So somebody should have introduced Lorne to uh, Ski Mask because he's very prone to getting caught on camera. And you know, you can just walk around with a ski mask in Minnesota, North Dakota, and people don't really think anything of it. I don't think he cares. <laughs> no, he doesn't. I really don't. I think he's just like, eh, whatever. No, no I mean big he. That, I mean, it would be not true to airtight- his character to wear. A ski mask. He's got an airtight alibi for some reason. He's very, he's very confident. Then again, who's making his alibis now? Maybe he. We don't know if he killed the guy in Reno. Um, I think great he time became... to take. Oh, nope. go ahead. Sorry, great time to take one more break, uh, and talk about our other great sponsor that, um, we just can't say enough about, and that's Tag. Uh, Tag celebrates the True Fargo community with True Fargo swag. They they have T-shirts. They have beer glasses, they have mugs, they have all sorts of stuff, and all the stuff is designed here in Fargo, and the shirts are printed here in Fargo, and we'll ship them here from Fargo. And they're fantastic in supporting our show, so if you want to have some great local swag from our local community, and all the money is stays local, and and Jade, has very, Jade, who owns Tag, has very generously helped sponsor our show, and not only that, they are giving us a promo code. So if you order anything within the United States and Canada, sorry, international customers, and you check out at checkout and you use the promo code Fargo, you can get 15% off your entire art, like your entire order. That's right. And uh, I've been telling people which shirts to buy, but I'm not going to lie. I really love the shirts that say love. And instead of the O, it's the state. And it's either Minnesota or North Dakota. And it's pretty good. Or the coffee mug. So I say go there and buy that, and it'll be great. Otherwise, there is a really great um, graphic shirt with um, kind of like a three-eyed tiger lion on the front that's uh, by Punch Gut, who's an artist here in town. He's fantastic. That shirt is $5. What? Are you serious? Right yes, $5. That Punch Gut shirt is 5 bucks. 5 bucks. I did not know so that. So go Gosh, there and Bill, get a shirt. You are just on fire tonight. Get a shirt for $5 and get it shipped to you and get it 15% off. I mean, hell, what, what's the... I'm doing math on my computer. It's like seventy-five cents off, so you can get a you can get a shirt for some little money. I'm literally buying that right now. You're t- <laughs> this is how I get Sharpie to buy stuff. So we can't thank Tag enough. I don't see it. I think you're. Lying. We can't thank them enough. They are fantastic. So go there, check them out. Use the promo code Fargo when you order. Boom. Get some beer, and get you know some T-shirts to wear. And then when you spill on your shirt, you take another tag shirt out of the drawer. Why? Because you just bought like four of them for $5. Yeah. If you spill on your shirt, just buy another shirt. Buy another tag shirt. Because this is America. <laughs> America. Okay, so we're we're rocking uh, Bemidji again. And I'm sorry, I'm really, I feel like I'm really stuck on Bob Odenkirk. And by the way, everybody got new haircuts and they look fantastic. I mean, Let's that's the easiest that. way to time shift too. Let's yeah, give everybody a haircut. Boom, it's one year later. But everybody does look mm-hmm. better, I'll admit. Absolutely. Except for, I won't say it. No. Everybody looks um, better. So we have uh, Bill going to the station and introducing Tareer, his uh, foster lost boy story. Yep. Um, which is just a huge setup for a coincidence that occurs later, I think. Yeah, for sure. And uh, this is I still think this is another thing where we see the soft side of Bill. How much he cares. He takes his wife to the ballet, even though he doesn't like it. He 
He's actually slowly becoming. Vern. He doesn't. Yeah, but he's avoiding conflict. Not in terms of good cop. He's. I'm not saying he's a good cop. I'm just talking about build a person. And if he you goes to the ballet him, to avoid conflict. Yeah. Well, and he and Molly though, getting mushroom and cheese omelets wrapped in tinfoil. <laughs> no, they had to stop and get her checks mix. I thought. Well, yeah, that's why. <laughs> well, that's why they went to. Phoenix also in Mons. a foil wrapper. So. But he, did you notice that he and Molly had like a really easy conversation? It was almost like she's working on this on the side, but their relationship has healed. And they seem okay with each other. Did you notice that? I mean, it wasn't like an awkward conversation. There was just something like, it was just really simple between them. And then uh, I, I'm just going to, here's, here's one more. Oops, I'm not quite keyed up Clips. yet. One more clip time. And here it is. Family. Sally says it's a miracle. I don't know. It might be. But don't question the universe. That's my motto. Sometimes things just work out. Yeah, I like to think that's true. We found you, buddy. We found you. I just want to hug Bill right now. Is that wrong? Just Bob Odenkirk. I need a hug, bro. Come see me. Okay, so... Try to clear some things up for me, Bill, since you seem to be sure. so on top Tell of me. things right now. Tell me um, about it. So, Bill was in a different jurisdiction when he spotted this guy shoplifting and then arrested him? I... Wait, now I gotta go back and think about the story. No, he didn't arrest him. Oh, I thought... I saw him, remember? Because you said he was hanging up pictures of him. They knew what he looked like. Oh, and he they went did. in there and he found him and then he had to, and and then I, and I'm sure the way Bill is, he admitted his wrongdoing. I had to steal to survive and Bill being what he is, is just like, oh, we're just glad you're here. We're glad you're safe. Welcome to America. All right. So, yeah, I'm just saying. So now we get to something I, I found also that. I'll go look after we're done recording this and find out that somebody else has found it too. But I guess I didn't see it in anything I read. And I like, uh, you know, sometimes I find things that are of detail that I'm just crazy. Some things I find that aren't. And I I, I should be reading more about <laughs> a, a paradoxical questions and things like that. But Molly walks into her bedroom at home and there's a movie on the screen and I couldn't help myself. And I kept listening to words. I'd play it back. I'd listen to words again. Mm-hmm. And eventually, I heard the phrase um, Inspector Clancy. So I Google Inspector Clancy, and I end up at 1944, American comedy mystery film, Detective Kitty O'Day. Mm. And are you ready for this? Here's go the synopsis. On. Go on. So, <laughs> so none of you are going to go watch this, so don't worry about the spoiler. Here's the synopsis from Wikipedia. After her boss is murdered, Wait. the secretary... What? Can we just take this step by step, please? Sure. After her boss is murdered, Burn. Secretary and aspiring detective Kitty O'Day, Molly, sees a chance to put her skills to the test to the annoyance of the investigating officer, Inspector Clancy, Bill. When Clancy won't, Bill, properly investigate the dead man's widow, Ida, O'Day, Molly, Molly. Takes yes. <laughs> it upon herself to unmask the killer with the reluctant assistance of her boyfriend Johnny Jones. Gus Grimley. Gus Grimley. Crazy shit. Is that not the most like 
perfect overlay. Is this no Noah Holly? Where are you? We need you to come on the show. I need to know how you even knew about Detective Kitty O'Day because it was not a big film. Uh, it, it was low budget detective stuff, according to Wikipedia, and everything on Wikipedia is true. And just in case you were wondering, Detective Kitty O'Day had one sequel called The Adventures of Kitty O'Day. So if if Kitty O'Day happened, well, that means Fargo season two is happening. What <laughs> What was the release year that this movie was released? 1944. Okay. So. Yep. I'm just like, I'm, I'm putting a lot of things together in my head right now. Right, right. <laughs> Well, okay, and so so that's going on in the background, and uh, Molly has the scene where, by the way, so many things about the scene with Molly and Gus are very 1996 Fargo. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. She's, they're both, she and Marge are both cops. Their husbands are both involved in the postal world, whether it be stamps or actually delivering the mail. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says, we're doing good. I think. I think a little bit of that. I was doing that whole, I was trying to decide if she was saying, we're doing good. Like, we're okay. We have a lot going for us. Yep. Or she's convincing herself that by keeping quiet, and it's all right. We're, do, we're doing good. We're doing good. Like, she's trying to fix the problem. Like, she's doing good. She's justifying it in her head while she's still... Like no, I don't endlessly think that's working this scene over and over and over and over in her head. I don't think I, I do think that she has those thoughts, but I yeah. don't think that's the that's the foundation of that statement. Sure, I agree. I think I'll that is that. more of a just, Bill Oswalt esque statement. You know, yeah, we're we're do, well, things things are just they're fine. Let's just yeah. move along now. Sometimes you don't go to sleep at night. I keep yeah. getting that quote wrong. I did it in the last episode too, mm-hmm. but whatever. So nice scene though between uh, Gus and Molly, Tom Hanks and uh, Molly, Colin, Tom Hanks and Tom Hanks. <laughs> hey, now did I mention wood chipper? You are the king of uh, name, name mashups. They're not mash-ups. screw ups; they're more mashups. Yeah, and I like it. Hey, Vegas, baby, Vegas. Vegas slash Minoman slash Hankinson. Just kidding. I no, that is totally Vegas <laughs> with the Paris thing there. Those the women you can tell from the women that are that are hanging out. I love the way this scene these scenes were shot though. I love the way they looked. They weren't exactly like it, but I just I like just the way don't they say felt. you like the you really you really enjoyed the cinematography. Just don't say that. Like no, I just it has this like every time student. I see like these like little clubs with the tables thing. Sometimes in the way they move around, I always think about those scenes from Good, the scene from Goodfellow where they get the table up front. But uh, here's Lester receiving his Salesman of the Year award, 2007. This is great. Those of you that know me know it's been a, a tough year for me personally. I had to kill my wife. <laughs> and that I wouldn't have gotten through it without the love and support. Had to fuck of a my client. Beautiful wife, Linda. Let's give her a hand. <laughs> I love you. You know, you can go through your whole life without a care, and one day it all changes. 
People die. They lose their homes. They go to prison. It's calamity, huh? I know it because I lived it. And if this year has taught me anything, and believe me, I've seen it all, is that the worst does happen. And you need to be insured. Thank you so much. It's a great honor. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'll be here all week, folks. It is the perfect <laughs> um it is the perfect speech for the insurance salesman of the year. I mean, I'll give him yeah. that. It, I mean, I, it's it's salesmanship through and through. It's there's nothing um you know, sensitive or emotional or like uh he's not thanking anybody. There's no, the, well, except for Linda. Yeah. So, Lester is the new douche canoe slash, which is an. I mean, we've we've kind of overused that term. Maybe douche lower, douche nozzle, jerk face, dipshit, jackass, loser, ass clown, chode, nimrod, wanker, dick bag, ass hat, no talent, ass clown. <laughs> He's still playing the victim, even in his victory. Right? Like, look what I've done. I worked hard to get these things, quote unquote, worked hard. And even in his acceptance, he's like, I know, I've been through it all. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I mean, he's, I mean, Kitty wasn't feeling for him. It's like he's, he had to be the victim in front of Kitty at the beginning of the episode. And even at the end, a year later, he's still playing the victim card. Uh, look at, look at me, poor me, and look what I've overcome. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm pretty hot shit now. He's like a rapper accepting a Grammy. Nobody said I could do it. <laughs> Everybody said it was impossible. People told me it was crazy. This is, I came. I started from the bottom. Now I'm here. <laughs> Even watched too much Eight Mile. Um, I I brought up last night the scene where people were talking. Somebody somewhere was like, "Oh, look, it's Lester on his Iron Throne." That scene where he's in that like really elaborate chair. Yeah. Um, and I was right. I rewatched, uh, and, and that's a chess piece over his left shoulder uh, to the right side of the screen yep. for us. It's a chess piece, and it is the king. You nailed that on the hot uh, dish. Yeah, on the hot dish. And that's why the hot dish is so awesome, folks. Which is why I, I think we've already seen one king fall, and that king wasn't even an asshole. Stavros. Milos. Right now. That's beautiful. Milos Stavros. Stavros said it. There. You said it. Um. And you I, don't I like still think that? we might. S- you can stop. Oh, listening. come on now! <laughs> I'm cutting that. <laughs> um, I I think we may or may not still see him. I don't know because if you if you look back at Molly's board in a scene though, she definitely has the um, she still has that uh the, the car and and the and the stuff on her, her radar about the vehicle. From uh that that's leased or whatever or owned by Phoenix Farms. Yep. So Stavros may not be gone, but here's the thing. Even I saw a lot online about just backing up a little bit for a second now that uh, when they finished that scene with uh, Gus and Molly that they panned down that that literally could have been the end of the show. There's people tweeting online like that's it, that's it ended, and you don't have to love everything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not everything ties up neatly. You can't know everything. You don't know why everything happened. So even if they just literally canned it, like if if Noah had just like just like shut it down right there after Gus and Molly go to bed. And it would have been fine. It would have worked. We're doing good. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with a happy ending, sort of. That's right. Because you know what? Bad shit happens in the world. 
Mm-hmm. Good shit happens in the world. And good, good shit happens to bad people and bad shit happens to good people. And that's what I love about Coen Brothers storytelling. Not to take any credit away from Noah Hawley because it's it's obviously Noah's Noah's work. Um, he has written this very well, but he he wrote it well, and it plays in tune with any sort of Noah brother or Cohen brothers right. piece. So no one, no, we'll call who's, we'll call this a, up names. We'll call this a no one piece. <laughs> no one Hawley. Yeah. Uh So Lester heads back to his room. And sees some ladies, and he's evidently, you know, one new haircut and an award, which, by the way, he did not send up to the room with Linda. <laughs> like, what? Speaking of dickbag, gonna... no talent, ass clowns, who takes their award, their their I'm... crappy, like, <laughs> acrylic glass award? I'm just going to carry this around. <laughs> I'm going to take this to the... But you know what? That's Lester. Yep. He bought his new sh- clothes online Sets it r- a year ago. <laughs> yeah, landed him Linda. Who knows what this? He's uh, like, I'm parking it sh- up right here. I got my new bonobo suit on. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna put my piece of acrylic on here that says I'm somebody on the bar in front of the pretty bartender, and I'm gonna accept the first drink she says. He did. <laughs> he did say I'll be up presently, which I think was. <laughs> I have. There was no precedently mm-hmm. on Fargo. There was no. I feel like the I'll be up presently was like Noah's little nod to like the close of the show to say something that you don't hear. <laughs> he was just way. missing. I'll be he up was, presently. He was just missing the erstwhile. I was just nom- I was just elected uh, or <laughs> given the salesman, salesman of, the, of year. the year award. Did you know that? I, that just happened erstwhile. Well, right over there. I'm kind of a I'm kind of a big deal. Yeah. Um. And then coming full circle to the end, as I was saying, you know, erstwhile, and now I'll be up presently. He walks in and, uh, hey, guess who's in the corner eventually? Boom. That look on his face and the amount of air that floats out of his giant ego balloon is incredible. He's so deflated when he sees Lorne looking like he's got himself a new haircut and he kind of looks more like Billy Bob in real life. Mm-hmm. And uh, coming completely full circle and staplers in the corner, Stephen Root. Yep. And I don't know, if you don't know who Steven Root is, you should look that up because he played Milton on Office Space. But <laughs> to pigeonhole an actor like Steven Root into just being Milton, you're you're honestly fucked because that guy is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays a great judge on Justified. Um, he's, he had a small role in Turn that's right now that I'm watching on AMC. Obviously, he's in Fargo. He's been in an episode of Louie, and he's been in a, a like three, I think, Coen Brothers films. I don't know what the third one is. I know he was in No Country for Old Men. He was definitely in Old Brother, Where Art Thou? Um, so the fact that Lauren is hobnobbing with a character that I don't know who that is or what he's doing yet. Which is hilarious I, that we just went down that office space road. Another, last another. Night with the yeah. staplers. Another, but hey, another grain of sand. Another grain of sand. Steven Root. So was that Lauren Malvo or uh, was it just... Oh, absolutely. Was it just Morris Buttermaker from the Bad News Bears? <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> it was Lauren. Maybe. Was Lauren. We don't know yet. We don't know. And I, I'll, you know what I really want to know next week is I want to know if he's being himself. Is he in something, or is he in another packaged character like the pastor from Baudet? Sure. Like, is I don't know. Milton 
his next hit. <laughs> Can't call him Milton. I just did. I did that. He's only listed on IMDb as a bar patron, and so that may be the end of it. But either way. Oh, man. So cool. He was was he on news radio too, I think? Yeah, he was. It was a good that was a good news show. News radio, a very underrated show. Yes. Cause that was news wait, I'm mixing up my two shows. News radio was uh, Phil Hartman was on that as yep. well, right? Okay. So Andy Sorry Dick. for uh, leaving, but so there it is. The, the the jump just happened though, and it's weird that you like you see everything that happened, and all of a sudden you've, you the jump happens, and then you're all of a sudden you're you're almost like in another story. But I I read something about Noah Hawley saying, well, hey, I don't know how else to deal with some of this stuff. He he needed it to happen because he needed to set up a few things, mm-hmm. and it worked really well. We because you know what, not all crimes get solved in three weeks. Mm-hmm. Some shit lingers on forever. It's called a fucking cold case, you know? That's life. That's life. You just don't know what the universe is going to throw at you, right? Mm-hmm. We did. We shifted into an entire another layer of the universe. Yeah. And I'm digging it. I can't wait to see. I'm, I'm going to be really sad. I'm getting bummed already, like you were saying earlier. Yep. That, like, we've only got two episodes left. I don't doubt that they're going to be Awesome. I want to know where I want to know where Mr. Wrench comes back in. I feel like I really don't think we're done with Russell Harvard's character. Nope. So there it is. There it is. An folks. episode recap in the can. The heap. And uh, we've got we got a few more things in the pipeline, but we don't know uh, yet. So we might have just two a week coming with a hot dish and a recap. But we've got a couple other little things in the works that may pan out for us. So if you like, the, stay tuned, folks. Yeah. If you like the show, um, just kind of try to spread the love for us. Uh, Hit us up on Twitter at Fargo Talks Fargo. Go to Facebook, Facebook.com slash Fargo Talks Fargo. Fargo Talks Fargo.com, obviously. Um, tell your friends, tell everybody you know. We're trying to build some listenership here and hopefully get some, some more guests to kind of finish this off for you guys real strong. Uh, but really appreciate the support so far. Uh, let's just keep rocking. Yeah, I also just want to say this in the last four days, thanks so much again to both. Tom Musgrave, who plays Beaumont, mm-hmm. and to Julianne Emery, uh, who plays Ida Thurman, for coming on and taking some time to chat with us. It was a lot of fun, and uh, we're having a great time. So, Sharpie, until next week, man. All right. We'll see you then. We'll see you then.